Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello, and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now, in this particular edition, we're going to take a wander and a meander through some of the highlights from the past six years with some of the various people who've shared their time, their knowledge, their love, their wisdom, their insight, their thoughts, their jokes with me and you on the podcast and it's a journey in no particular order of some of my favorite people and some of my favorite times with the aim being that it gives a flavor as much as is possible in 20 to 30 minutes of a podcast episode of what leader manager coach has been and what it is and yes it's personal but I hope you love it as much as I do and have and to everybody that's contributed and all you wonderful people who've listened, thank you so much. But here we go. In the latter days of the Leader Manager Coach podcast, as I've said before, I was blessed with an opportunity to sit with one of my heroes, the ex-Manchester United, England and Stoke City, genius that's still a hero to so many, Jimmy Greenoff. And we sat in Jimmy's living room and here's Jimmy explaining in a few simple words to me what epitomises the beautiful game. No tactics whatsoever. Seriously. (laughs) Throw the ball to you as you're going out. Go and entertain them once again. Brilliant. And what else could you do? And especially at the end, you had to entertain them with the likes of uh, Alan Hudson, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And from one 1970s hero to another, we go to another living room in an ST postcode to another of my heroes, the Iron Man, Dennis Smith who gives us an insight in a few words in his phenomenal Stoke-on-Trent way and explains, if you want to be a professional footballer, how badly do you have to want it? I was the head boy there, but I was determined to be a player. I didn't realise I was going to have such a difficult journey to carry on to get there, but I, you know, I just didn't love. I love playing, yeah. so I made a de- 
Yeah. I was obviously stubborn. I was one of seven, so I knew how to look after myself. Yeah. And uh, I was determined to, to follow my dream. And if that wasn't enough from Dennis, as we went on in the interview and we talked about his management career, here is one of my favourite anecdotes about true and complete self-belief. York wanted compensation. Sunderland weren't prepared to pay, so I said, right, well, we'll do it this way. If I don't get promotion, I'll pay it. If we get promotion, <laughs> you pay it. And fortunately, I mean, I came out in the media, I said, look, if I can't get this club out of this division, you know, I don't deserve the job. Now, if you look now, they've been down there now for the last four or five years in that division, so it isn't that easy, but fortunately I did it. So I didn't have to pay any compensation, yeah. but I had to, told Kate, yeah, take extra out on the mortgage for the house. <laughs> yeah. Next on the list were, came at the end of a, a journey to a very humble Accrington Stanley training ground with one of the world's most humble men who is part of a family that I have so much respect for. The gentleman is Willie Donachy. Now, here's why I have so much respect and so much love for Willie and his family. It sums him up. One of my happiest, proudest moments was when we played in Oldham's reserves together so I was a player coach at Oldham and Dan was a young player and playing in the same team that was, that was a real great wow. time because you know, he'd shout yes dad you know wanting the, wanting the ball Give it me. and the, yeah, other, yeah. the other team would be like, <laughs> looking at um, what's, <laughs> go, what's going on here <laughs> and from one successful Scotsman to another we move to the story of Jock Steen and his life, the great Celtic manager. And we dive deeply into Jock's life, looking at two biographies of Jock. And here's why, in my words, why I love Jock Steen and why he epitomised authenticity in life. Jockstein. A beautiful summing up comes in the book, or certainly Archie McPherson's book, where a fan outside the stadium says when he hears the news, I couldn't care less about qualifying for the World Cup. I just want Jock back. I just want Jock back. Such love for a great man and look you may not really have an interest in football but he was a great man who was loved by many people who lived a life doing what he loved and what he wanted he had to battle he wasn't great at what he did but he persevered and he found his way to do what he wanted he loved people and he was good with people in many ways. And the ways in which he was good, he utilised. He put his values first 
He put every single ounce of effort into his work and he was all over it. And he had his time. And then, strangely enough, the Scotland theme continues. As I indulge myself, and please excuse me, as I talk about the never-ending joys of walking in the Scottish Highlands and all the pleasures and attributes that it can bring to you. You have an idea of where you want to go. You have an idea of what it's like, but you don't know exactly. That's life, isn't it? And you, so there's your vision. And a man without vision shall perish or a woman without vision shall perish. So you need a vision and then you have a plan and you take with you what it is you think you need and is at your disposal because you'd be a fool not to. And you set out, but you set out in faith because you don't really know what it's going to be like. You only have an idea. And as I did say at the beginning, this is in no particular order. And this could well be at the end to sum up one of the greatest lessons that leader managed coaches certainly taught me. And again, please excuse the fact that it's me on the microphone from the episode delving deeper into the hero's journey. But it kind of summarizes the epitome for me of what I've learnt more than anything else from the leader-manager-coach journey. Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, or the concept of anyway, is, is a massive vein that runs through my own life because I find it sustaining that to look at life as a journey. And linked to that, I move on to something else that's been driven home to me throughout this journey and that's the something that I used in a title of an episode being a truth telling hero just having that as an aim in life will be sufficient but here I explain why celebrity is not where it's at but authenticity and truth is. If you are not in your life where you want to be, take a baby step towards where you want to be, but be a truth-telling hero or heroine, and do not avert your gaze and allow a green-eyed monster of jealousy and resentment to filter into your life vision. And thank goodness for that, I can move away from my own voice to somebody that I think the absolute world of. She's got an accent to die for. She's insightful. She's completely authentic, totally genuine, and she's doing an amazing job. It's Sally Needham. And I entitled her episode, her interview, as the 22nd hug. Because the one thing that Sally emanates is love for the people that she works with. She's passionate and uh, she's doing some great work. Sally Needham. 
my role is around relationships. So how do we build them relationships, then have them conversations and then that buy-in? Um, and I think now, because the boys have bought into it so much, it's an easy conversation because the boys want to do it and they feel a benefit in it and they all have embraced it, which they have done, which I'm very fortunate that they have. Then that gives me then the license to put the ideas forward. And moving on from seeing life as a hero's journey and being a truth-telling hero, there is that maxim that stuck with me from the journey that you have to choose your suffering. So your choice is which path are you going to take? But be warned, both will involve suffering. But one will be paved with love. Make sure you choose wisely. Here I am remembering and recalling the importance of understanding this concept. I believe it was the Buddha who said, or is quoted as saying, or it is written that the Buddha said, life is suffering. Think about that for a moment. Life is suffering. Now, if we take it, and you may or may not, but let's just work with this premise for the benefit of this podcast and for something to work with and to come to a conclusion of sorts, that the Buddha has a degree of wisdom or that the text or the teaching within that philosophy has something of value. You may think it has not. You may not have an opinion, but let's just say that. Now, if that is true, that life is suffering, and whether you take that literally or not, again, that's another question, but how many people would actually consciously sign up for that one of the things that humbled me so much was how people gave their time to lead a manager coach and one such person was the greatest wicketkeeper in the world when he was at his peak jack russell and here he is explaining a small anecdote of why criticism really is golden. I would say the biggest thing was the encouragement, because because and the, and and the the uh, the belief that actually I was good enough. You know, he, he rated me. Um, he knew I was going to take his job at some point, but he still encouraged me. And then that says uh, that speaks volumes for the guy. And at that particular time, he had, the problem with Brassy, I was called Brassy. He batted number 10 or 11, so he was never going to play for England because his batting was never good enough. But technically, he was one of the best keepers in the country, if not the best. He was up there with your not Taylor and that, those guys, technically. Um, so I learned so much from him technically. I just used to copy him, Rob. You know, I'm, quite, I'm a bit of a copier. You know, I used to try and copy people, even with batting, is because I'm, I'm sort of quite a visual person. So if, you, if I see something, I go, oh, I think, oh, I'll try that. And in days of um, there were no videos or computers, it was that was the only way. I used to watch the television. There was no record or play it back. I used to have to watch it and go, right, 
that guy's done that. See if I can try and, and what, what makes them work, the mechanics of they, you know, cop, try to copy it. Things like staying down to the ball bounces and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing with Brassy was the, the encouragement because I was in a changing room at that time where there wasn't a lot, wasn't a lot of that because I was just a young upstart and you would have seen it in football probably um, where, you know, it's just a tough school. It's a tough school. And I look back and think, I'm glad it was because it actually made me, it was that sink or swim situation again. You know, I was going to rise and, and one, of the, one of my teammates actually said to me, you will never be good enough to lace Andy Brassington's boots. That was said to me. Now that was the, one of the best things ever said to me. And from one great keeper to another, another gentle giant who gave of his time, Joe Corrigan, England, Manchester City. Here's Joe's advice to young players. Absolute gold dust. Listen to the people that count. Your mother and father, your parents, um, and your coaches, and listen to them, take them in. You might not always agree with them, but take, yeah. take it in. And the one thing I, I would have the ability to, if you don't agree with it, try it. If it doesn't work for you, put it in the back of your mind. Don't ever dismiss it. Yeah. Put it in the back of your mind because one day it might come round to the fact that you might need that. And I couldn't do a summary of leader, manager, coach without referencing a man that I grew to love a great deal and was so fortunate to know. Here's why I loved Walter Smith so much. Again, it's in my own words. Here's a man who <laughs> contributed an enormous amount to the success of one of the world's most famous football clubs. But that just sums him up. Humility. And, you know, his love for his his family shone through. He always talked about his family. And um, he was just that loving man. He had a love about him and a presence. When you were in his company, you knew you were in his company. And... Um, as I've said before, he was a great people person. He didn't effuse about people. In fact, he was a man of few words, but he was present when you were with him. And um, he certainly made you feel like you were on the right track. One of the episodes that people fed back so positively about was War Society and Leadership by Sebastian Younger. Uh, from his book Tribe, here I am, just summarising why it is that we should celebrate or what it is we should celebrate. The things that we're similar about, let's celebrate our similarities within a group and let's not amplify our differences. You know, there are going to be disagreements, there are going to be fallouts, there are going to be people who have opinions, but let's in a group, in a society, in a culture, in a community, if we learn to celebrate and focus on our similarities, we will be so much better off. And as we kind of draw to the last lap of finding some highlights about leader, manager, coach, here's probably the reason that got me started on the whole journey. It was episode three. 
William Shankly. Again, it's in my own words. But here's why I fell in love with Shanks and management. It was 1974 and it was the 1974 FA Cup final. Liverpool versus Newcastle. When Liverpool won and sitting on the Wembley bench in a pink purple shirt with a red tie was this little man with grey hair and a sparkle in his eyes who seemed to me to be orchestrating the whole thing that was happening on the pitch. And leading on from Shanks, here I talk about the book, The Four Kings, about Shankly, Ferguson, Jockstein and Samat and how they epitomise self-belief. Another characteristic that runs through them is, is absolute indomitable self-belief. They all believed in what they were doing. They all believed that what they were doing was correct, was right, was the way to do it and would achieve success. And ultimately, the history tells us that that was so. Now, they all might not have gone about it exactly the same way, but it's having that self-belief. And although it was a great surprise to me, I couldn't leave out the episode that appears to have been the most popular for some strange reason that I know not why. Here's rule number one, or agreement number one, from Don Miguel Ruiz. And I wanted to share with you. So the first principle that Ruiz talks about is what you say. He calls it be impeccable with your word. Now that's a strong word, impeccable. It possibly means almost flawless, or possibly flawless, or perfect. And the penultimate highlight comes from Someone I, someone I hold in great respect. I've got great respect for it. It was one of the early episodes on leader, manager, coach. We did it on a service station and he gave unforgivingly of his time, Steve Rutter, who talks about why self-knowledge is key to success. And I think I deep down I knew that anyway um, because I always felt a bit pressurised when I played. I was always a bit scratchy. My techniques were never really pure. You know, and I see some players and, and they're just effortless. But I was all about physical effort and tackling and heading and kicking. And um, But I did have a good football brain. And um, I think he recognised that quite early and that's why he, he suggested I get into coaching. And last but not least, amongst the episodes that I've enjoyed the most, truly authentic, in the company of greatness, but you wouldn't know it. Total humility, total giving, for me, the epitome of a great human being. And Lou Macari, on the beginning of his journey of helping the homeless of Stoke-on-Trent. There was um, a sort of shelter there where they used to congregate. There was six or seven of them in there. Uh, four of them were Stoke supporters, three Port Vale. So with a bit of banter. Did you? Yeah, a bit of banter with the Stoke lads. Argued, argued with the Vale lads. Well, the Stoke lads did. The yeah. Vale lads, I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was another seven. And then just walked around at the main shopping area and there was a, a man here and there was a woman there. And the, the people spread out all over the place. Probably came across in the space of 10, 15 minutes. 
probably came across um, 15 to 20 and I thought, well, it's a bit too many and, and, and thought, well, wonder if there's anything I could do because I thought I haven't done a great deal uh, since I've retired and I haven't done a great deal since, um, in football management that is, I haven't done a great deal for anybody throughout my football career because your football career is that much to do, you sort of forget about everybody the else, of it, the demands of it. And I thought, well, knew one of the city councillors who had been a journalist in, in my time as Stoke manager, who'd come down on a Friday for team news and any other news I had from him and thought, right, payback time, I'm going to ask him if he's got a building in Stoke-on-Trent or if he can help get a building in Stoke-on-Trent because the council must have hundreds, get me the keys and I'll open it up and bring the people in and got a roof over their head, which is a start. So there we have a few highlights and I make no apologies for them being amongst my favourites. Um, it probably only gives a, a smattering of the flavour of the 300 episodes, but I hope that you've enjoyed that little walk through some of the, the highlights from leader, manager, coach. Just as a summary of uh, what we've done over the past few years. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. Bye-bye.